to episode 93 of your favorite podcast and mine, Ear Buddies. Of course, we can all already tell the terrible news, which is that Tim is not with us today, so it's just Maddie on the mic. Um, normally, uh, we don't really show how the sausage is made. There's, we don't owe it to you. Um, we can keep that private between ourselves, Tim and, and me. But this... Uh, the reason Tim is not here is simply because of a um, an issue of connection. Not emotional connection, of course. We are still best buds. But we were just not able to get the gosh darn internet and our computers to, um, to connect and to work when we were trying to record a different episode, which will come out soon, I promise you. So I said, Tim, buddy, look, you've done so much for me. Um why don't I just do a solo episode? I'll, I'll let you focus on your life and your family and your your other work, and Maddie will just uh, take one for the team here and talk about something that, well, that I want to talk about. And Tim said, of course, that sounds great. Godspeed. So here I am. All cards on the table. I have wanted to talk about this topic for quite a while. Um, I have hinted at it, uh, referenced it perhaps in a number of prior episodes. Um, and as, as fate would have it, uh, we just did an episode on the Beatles. And of course, one podcast episode is not nearly enough time to talk about those four lovable lads from Liverpool. Um, so I'm going to kind of keep talking about them because this is an episode that is very much about the influence and legacy of the Beatles. And it is also about um, what I consider the pinnacle of human artistic achievement. It's better than Girl with a Pearl Earring. It's better than the Brandenburg Concertos. It's better than Citizen Kane. I, I believe that this is as good as it gets when it comes to a person making something. Um, and of course, we are talking about the song... That thing you do. Now, this song was not the biggest song in the world, um, so I'm going to give some history. It comes from a movie called That Thing You Do, which makes a ton of sense. Um, this movie came out in 1996 when a lot of us were just tiny children. And uh, it was written and directed by Tom Hanks, his, his feature writing and directorial debut. That's right from Wikipedia. It is about a fictional band in the 1960s who have one killer tune and what that tune does to and for them the relationships and memories they make along the way if you haven't seen the film i think it is just tops it is a great movie tom hanks killed it all the actors and actresses killed it uh but one guy more than anybody killed it and his name is adam schlesinger i've mentioned adam 
a few times before. I love Adam. I have a t-shirt that I made with his face on it. I am a huge Adam stan. Um, He passed away in the early days of the COVID-19 pandemic, um, and it is heartbreaking that this happened because he was the best. Nobody could write a tune like Adam, and this episode is going to talk about why that's true and and how he was just so good and what made this particular song so good. Because this uh, this movie is called That Thing You Do, and it is about the song. It's about the band, of course. It's about the relationships and the memories. It's about Tom Hanks proving himself as a as a force to be reckoned with as not only an actor, but a writer and director. Um, and that all worked, but it only worked because of the strength of the song. And now I can I can hear the peanut gallery yelling at me and, and whispering to one another and saying, why why this tune, Maddie? Why is this such a big deal? It wasn't the biggest movie in the world. It, it's not even the biggest song in the world. There are many other tunes from many other films that um, we could also be talking about. Sure, okay, I hear you and I understand your concerns, but um, this is not your podcast, so just give me a break here and let me let me figure this out as we go. You need to trust me. We're talking about this because it's a, it's a movie about a band in the 1960s. And the song had to sound like a band in the 1960s. There was a, a specific, well, not even specific, a very general brief that was given to um, many, many songwriters. And it basically said, we want a song that sounds like an American band after hearing the Beatles uh, wrote this, right? They, they were blown away by the Beatles and wanted to do something like that. And the the movie takes place in the summer of 1964. In 1963, uh, the Beatles' debut album came out, and in 1964, in February of 1964, 73 million people watched as they played the Ed Sullivan Show, sparking what would come to be known worldwide as Beatlemania. So to Tom, I say, uh, well done. This is a great idea for a flick. Um, but how... Do you get that perfect song that need, that you need to make this film work? Here's what happened. Adam had just signed to a publishing company, and when you are a songwriter with a publishing company, you get briefs. Um, people want some kind of tune, and they want you to write it for them. Adam, well, I'm, I don't know his entire creative process here. That's the magic of it. But he wrote this song. He said it was sort of an exercise uh, for himself. He was a big fan of uh, 60s music and um, that kind of particular brand of pop. Um, so he wrote a few different versions and uh, called in his buddy Mike Viola, um, who actually is the voice, the singing voice of the lead singer um, in this movie, and the uh, as well as on the, the record itself. And he said, lay this down, sing this tune, and we'll send it in. So that's what they did. They laid it down, uh, packaged it up, and sent it, I guess, directly to Tom Hanks. And long story short, they got the gig. Tom said, this is the tune for us. This is the tune for my first big directing movie. 
Um, very exciting all around. Why then did we choose this song? Why did Tom love this song so much? Why did this beat out all the other songs? Why was this exactly what was needed for a fictional band in the 1960s who were trying to be like the Beatles? I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to be giving a number of examples. I'm going to try, as always, to not get too deep into the weeds because I know that we are a uh, a diverse army, and I know that not everybody is a music theory head or a professor at Berkeley. I know there are some, but I know it's not everybody. So, I hope by the end of this little uh, analysis, this dissection, it will make more sense because listening to the, the song on its own, you know that it sounds like the 60s. Um, but I feel like a lot of people aren't necessarily sure why. Because I think, I mean, I think we can all agree that it sounds so much like the 60s. It sounds so much like the Beatles. Even though, I'm just going to say this, uh, this tune is better than a lot of the stuff that the Beatles themselves put out. So, congrats to Adam. But yeah, uh, I figured I would just kind of go through the tune here and play um, mostly different Beatles songs to hear where those influences came from and, and see how those were kind of put together in Adam's head and in the studio to make this the perfect song for what turned out to be a pretty good film. So that beat, those drums that you just heard, that is a classic, quintessential 60s beat. Um, The simplest beat you can play with a a kick and snare is just, you know, snare on two and four, on one, two, three, four. Uh, But with the 60s beat, the first uh, snare hits are actually two eighth notes rather than one quarter note, and the second uh, on the four is actually just the one quarter note. Okay, so that's enough math for now. Uh, That beat is so quintessentially 60s that if you start like that, uh, it's going to be easier to write a 60s song. And uh, the example I'm going to give here is a Beatles song called Please Please Me. So you can immediately hear uh, the influence in in that song. Uh, also, it's a very similar tempo and the same key. Uh, both that thing you do and please please me are in E major. So we've started with that beat uh, that runs more or less through the whole song with some variations and fills and uh, hi hat and ride. But that kick and snare pattern is um, the backbone of that thing you do. Next up, we're talking about the bass line. The bass line in um, That Thing You Do is uh, fabulous. It, it goes between sort of a very simple 1-4-5 almost blues progression because, you know, remember that 60s music uh, and especially with the Beatles that like developed from blues, um, rock and roll developed from blues. Uh, 
but then it changed the chord changes uh and the way that the bass um changes with those and, and underscores those is uh magical i mean that's the little details um in the the production and the writing that's what makes me um kind of freak out about this song and why i think that it's so good because it's uh adam is working with the benefit of quite a bit of hindsight right there's been decades of um beatles music i suppose and 60s music and um songs that he can build this pastiche from uh whereas with the early beatles music and early 60s music it wasn't um it wasn't usually that sophisticated um although there were interesting uh chord progressions and changes but they had to go into a studio and just kind of record it all at once all at the same time to, with a, a few different mics um and so i think that the sophistication of that thing you do definitely outweighs um a lot of well a lot of <laughs> early Beatles stuff sorry so i'll play the the bass line here so you can kind of um hear it um soloed from the rest of the track Now, obviously, that's a, a very short clip, but hearing that bassline solo should give you an idea of what the song, along with the drums, uh, now is being built on. Um, again, that that bassline is very simple. It's very just kind of obvious, and you've definitely heard it um, hundreds or thousands of times in your life, and just on its own even without uh, the benefit of all the context and the, the drums and, and vocals, it sounds like a 60s bass line. And that's exactly what Adam was going for. And he nailed it. The clip I'm going to play as an example here is Hold Me Tight, also by the Beatles. Hold Me Tight uh, is not a good song, and I'm not even saying that just on my own. Paul said it, John said it, all the critics said it. It was just a sort of album filler that became a single. Also, It was also released in 1963, so this makes sense uh, contextually within the movie as well, which is great. But you can hear that bass line and also the guitar following, or at least one of the two guitars following that bass line, which is exactly what happens in That Thing You Do. Uh, and you can also hear, just as an additional little flavoring, there are a lot of hand claps all throughout that. In the Beatles' early stuff especially, um, it was all hand claps all the time. Um, and in That Thing You Do, the hand claps, uh, they follow the snare rather than just going through kind of on every beat like it does in, um, in Hold Me Tight. But you can hear as well that Adam clearly took inspiration from um, not only the bass line of Hold Me Tight slash many other 60s songs, but also those, those jubilant hand claps. Of course, this would not be such a perfect 60s pop pastiche if the chords were boring, if the chords were just kind of the standard modern pop chords. Um, 
And not to say that they're deeply complicated, but there is one very um, interesting thing that um, happens in that thing you do a number of times, where the four chord is a major chord and it becomes a minor chord. And that is done by taking the third scale degree and flatting it by a half step, like so. Fascinating, right? Yeah, out of context, I understand that that's not that thrilling. But I'm going to give you some context, of course. Um, I'm going to play uh, Hold Me Tight again, because what we weren't listening for the first time is that uh, major four into a minor four. It's a very, very common thing in a lot of 60s music, largely because uh, the Beatles did it all the time. Um, And in that thing you do, it's very prevalent as well. So I will play Hold Me Tight, listening for those chord changes, and then I will play uh, kind of kind of the same part uh, in that thing you do. So those two songs are in different keys. Um, one is an E, one is an F. So it's not like an exact one-to-one uh, copy-paste, which is you know good of Adam. Thank you for uh, being original. But the uh, you can kind of hear in both of those examples they're kind of the same parts of both songs, right? Structurally, and um, they even they even end to get back into the verse. They end on that five chord leading up with that drum fill, and then we go back to that kind of original bass line and, and drum beat. So that's most of the the detail work complete, I think. I, I don't think we need to go any further into um, chords and, and music theory, but there's even more um, little elements and little details in that thing you do that are um, just so uh, perfect and so perfectly deployed in the song. Um, they have the classic... Um, call and response sort of lead vocal sings and then the two harmonies come in uh, immediately after. And they even have maybe my favorite idea of the song which is a terrible very amateurish guitar solo right after the bridge. Oh, I just remembered something. Uh, the very final chord in uh, that thing you do is an E major seven. Uh, which is a good idea on its own, but it's also kind of paying homage to another Beatles song, which is She Loves You. Uh, I'm going to play just the very last part of that so you can hear the last chord. Now, 
Now that that is not the exact same chord quality as the major seven. That's actually a G six, which is a different kind of chord and arguably maybe more jazzy. Um, and that's just in She Loves You. It's an interesting story, kind of, because the Beatles uh, wanted to end this this song with a G six, which hadn't existed um, in the song before, much in the same way as that thing you do ends with a, a chord that didn't exist in the song before. Uh, and George Martin, we remember their producer, uh, hated that idea. He said, "This is this makes no sense, boys. We can't do it." And all the boys said, "We're the band." And ultimately, what we say goes. So we're going to end on this weird chord. Um, And the rest is history. I think so often the magic of art is in the details. Um, And, you know, I've been discussing all of those little details in the record itself. But it's also cool, and props to Tom once again, because in, um, in the movie, in the film, there are, I mean, it's, it's almost, it's close to perfect in how it portrays like what that music would even look like, right? Like they start off the wonders, this band, they start off playing these silver tone guitars and like a Dan electro bass, both of which look and are pretty cheap. And then as they get famous and bigger, whatever, they get like a Fender jazz master guitar and a Fender jazz bass, which are both, um, very, uh, germane to the sixties. Um, and then, uh, the lead singer is playing a Rickenbacker guitar, which is a very, I mean, Paul played a Rickenbacker bass. John played a, a Rickenbacker guitar. Um, and, and also another cool thing that I'm just now remembering. So guy, this is, uh, the, the guy played by Tom Everett Scott. Um, he, well, Tom learned how to play the drums for this, this movie. And he plays, um, in with a traditional grip, which is when you hold both drumsticks, um, differently. The left hand is, uh, hard to explain, but it's not a matched grip, which is what a lot of, uh, modern drummers do. And he plays like that because he's a jazz drummer. That's the, the whole point of his kind of storyline is that he is just, he wants to play jazz, but he gets in on this band, um, and replaces their other drummer who broke his arm. Um, and even the drum set like looks exactly like it did on the Ed Sullivan show, right? There's just one rack tom, one floor tom, one ride, one crash, hi-hat, snare kick. That's it. And that is exactly what those 60s kits were like. So I think that the, you know, the movie itself all works together and all those details make a lot of sense. But even more so, as always, it's all about the tunes. It's well, it's all about the singular tune actually. Like in, in this case, this uh the movie's interesting as well because it's a, you know, they're a one-hit wonder and their one hit is perfect. And there are some other songs that uh the the wonders uh record and release in the movie that you hear and you're like, "Huh, these are okay, but they're not that great." And so to to hang the entire uh, conceit and and future of your film on one song, you have to be pretty sure that that song is, you know, the one. And it obviously was. I I can't imagine. I cannot imagine a better song. Um, Well, I I almost can't imagine a better song, period. But for the purposes of this film and uh, capturing exactly what it wanted to capture, Adam killed it. I'm not surprised. He even, 
Well, Adam didn't title the song, right? The brief said it was for a movie that was already called That Thing You Do, and so the song had to be called That Thing You Do. Um, And he did something, uh, I know this is maybe more information than we even need now, but he did something amazing, which is he used that line in the very first verse, which is such a 60s thing to do. Nowadays, we kind of wait until the chorus, and that's the big hook um, when you hear the title. But nope, Adam knew exactly, (laughs) he understood the assignment, and he threw that out immediately. Um, Wow, I I can just stand in awe. So look, that's, uh, that's it for Maddie this week. No ad break. You know how the sponsors feel about just supporting my uh, solo work, which is for the uninitiated. They hate it. They they won't. I don't know. They want both of us. They want Tim and me together, and I think we all do. So next week, same time, same place. Tim and I will be back on mic to discuss something else fascinating in the world of music. Thank you for listening, and please give us a star, I guess. No, wait. How many stars? Give me... No, give us five stars. Give us five stars on Apple Podcasts. And I don't know what you can do on Spotify, but whatever you can do there, that sort of boosts the Ear Buddies Army profile, go ahead and do that. Um would be much appreciated this is not how we make our living thank god but you know we want to we want to grow our army we want to be able to march on russia okay that's it for me talk to you later pals